Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest sitting on our couch, drove in from... Waterloo. Waterloo. Waterloo, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge. No idea. It's same, same big bubble. Is it really? Well, no, yeah, they're a little bit different, but I, say, I like to say Waterloo. I think the last time we were in Waterloo, Cambridge area, it was like you cross one street and suddenly you're somewhere yeah, else. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. We were going to visit a therapist to record on site at her clinic. And she Parker. gave us the clinic address, but the street, half the street's like technically Kitchener and half is Waterloo. Yeah. And so we were just actually on the wrong side of the street. I'm like, I don't understand. We're here, <laughs> but we're not here. It's, like- <laughs> it's the only city where like the same street intersects. You can find the same intersection four times. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, say that again? You can find, I think it's King. No, it's, yeah, it's King and Weber. I think it's four times, three times or four times they intersect the same Seriously, because it's all one way roads and uh, yeah, it's very confusing for people because so, we were very confused. Yeah, there you, you can't say Kang and Weber. You have to say like Kang and Weber North or King. Does the Tri-City run on a grid? Like north, south, east, west roads? No, eh? Not really. See, that screws me up so much. I need a city that runs on a fucking grid. <laughs> it would right? make more sense. It does. That's that's why I love Toronto. North, south, east, west, boom, I'm good to go. Yeah, Although there's parts of sense. Scarborough that are not on a grid. It gets a little confusing in this northeast section that we're in. So we should be used to it. Anyway, let's actually introduce our guest. Hey, everyone, it's Amanda and our guest, Marsha, well, You don't want to do uh, MapQuest anymore? Or <laughs> no, we Google don't. Earth? No, you, know, you know how many people are tuning out right now? They're like, I don't give a shit about. Waterloo, Kitchener, Toronto. Guess what? I don't give a shit if you tune out. <laughs> and a good we start. How about that? Start. How about that? Really Take that. Good and guess what? If you tuned out, you didn't hear me say I don't give a shit if you tuned out. <laughs> anyway, Marsha is here from Waterloo. And uh, we, as usual, don't really know what we're talking about. But we have a mutual friend. Some of you guys might remember Sue. Sue Rue, it's true. Mm-hmm. She's been on a couple times. And we have also been on her podcast, Love Yourselves. And Marsha has also been on her mm-hmm. podcast. And Sue's been on her podcast. And it's, you know, just podcasters supporting podcasters. Absolutely. We love that. Is that what it is? So yeah, it is. that's what it is. Oh, and we're all friends. So Sue suggested that we talk to Marsha. She said she'd be a perfect fit for our one of our episodes. And um, we didn't ask any questions. We just said, okay, cool, let's do it. So we know nothing about our guest here, which is fantastic. Other than she's You mean this in is this not the industry. way most people do their podcast? Just say, hey, come know. on, come on on. <laughs> no, we've seen the people that are super organized. You know, they've got their, their bio data sheets ready to go and they've got their you know questions and they lie. do the discovery I've, calls. I've and... turned down doing a podcast. There's this dude, he's in, he's in uh, London, Ontario, and he's a newer kinesiologist and he's like all about bringing the kinesiologist community together so he started a kin podcast Mm -hmm. and he asked me to be on but then he wanted to do like a discovery call and then map everything out i'm like dude it's not that's not how this this is not how i roll so i I I gotta bow out at this you have to i turned somebody away this week who said can you give me an itemized list of all the questions you'll ask when we do it and i'm like no 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 no. This is not the right fit for you. It's, yeah, and exactly. that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It, it In my opinion, it just comes off as too scripted. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I say to people who listen to us is my reactions are so real. Like when I, I don't know if people think I'm serious or not when I say I've never met this person or I've never spoke. No, I met Marsha 25 seconds ago. Like I don't know. I don't know anything <laughs> about her. But 
this is what the episode's going to be about is getting to know you. So with the listeners, I'm also getting to know you. And I love that. So let's start with an introduction then. Tell us a little bit about your backstory and uh, maybe it'll start to make sense to people how you came to be on our couch. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I I am recently past being a registered kinesiologist. I was Ooh. for 27 years and just let it go. Why'd you let it go? <laughs> COVID. <laughs> it's a, it's that's, that's not, that's not a good COVID. reason. COVID is the reason why you let it go? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because I still technically couldn't work. In... Did you go into active or you just you resigned? Well, here's the interesting thing. I'm going to be, wow, how much am I going to share here? Everything. We, we, okay. So we, I mean, I applied to go inactive okay. and I figured I would go inactive. And then when- What do they charge for an inactive fee? So I think it's 200 or 250 for inactive. Okay. You know, reasonable. Right. But then I looked at it, I looked at it really carefully. And it's a fact that if I wanted to work at all in any way, shape or form in the next year, I couldn't. So I was like, well, could I pay the difference of the fees? And if I, if we're in a situation that I could work and it's like, no, I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense to me, but I understand. So you would, you, you'd, you'd have to register at the full fee then. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. They were saying one year that I would need to wait from when I last. So worked. you wouldn't be able to just jump in and pay the six fifty and then have your active membership back? No, unless I completely misunderstood it. No, that's how I was, I, hmm. how it was explained to me. It's weird. So that was the first thing. And the second thing was that I, I, I spent the last probably five years growing an online coaching business, podcasting platform, wrote a book and finally went, you know what? Maybe this is the universe's way of saying, why don't you actually put your time and energy into this mm. and see where it goes? And I, you know, I've tracked it and I've watched it and I've seen that part of my business grow in a different, in a very different way. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, so now I'm not actually trading the time, like the dollar for hour that I have done my whole life. Mm -hmm. And then realized I actually really like the coaching and I can do it in a lot of different ways and just decided to let it go and see where it goes. So I'm not saying I won't go back and train some of my clients, but at the end of the day, I being a registered kinesiologist just allowed my clients to get their tax, like a tax mm -hmm. credit for myself as a registered kinesiologist. I say this with a lot of love is the fact that I have not seen any change in my business <laughs> for paying, I'm going to say it, for paying, it's you true. know, thousands and thousands of dollars. And I said that in a Zoom call that I was like, I just don't, I can't see that it makes sense. So if I do decide to go back and do training, then I will do it as as a non-kin, but I'm still a kin in my heart because I know what I know and that's how I will continue to work. So it was a bit of a yeah. ballsy move, but I felt like it... It felt like the right move for me. I mean, it's an easy move to do because kinesiology being regulated in Ontario is really new. And mm -hmm. kinesiologists in Ontario don't get paid very well anyway. Terrible. And extended healthcare coverage isn't really there for kinesiologists. So it's an easy, it's an easy move to walk away from it. it. Logically, my husband and I went through it many times and he's like, it's pretty much a no brainer. Like, I, why would you go back and pay when you're not even technically able to work yet? And right. I think the numbers were, we're up at 80% of kins that still weren't working as mm -hmm. of the time of our dues were due. And... I just, it just felt like I was being called in a different direction. Mm, interesting. Mm -hmm. we're, we're doing something very soon that's going to, it's going to blow up the kinesiology world a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. Good yeah, for you. Yeah. Yeah. We've, I just got off a zoom call with a bunch of other kids and we're, we're putting together like a really cool educational summit, that's but awesome. it's all business related. Oh, see, that's what's missing. <laughs> Let's just like, that is, that's, that's great yeah. because I think that I, th I love the profession and I think that it deserves more than what it gets right now. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I absolutely love it. 
it. And so for me, it was just a I, I think had we been in a space where we could maybe delay our payments, maybe like defer them having mm-hmm. payment plans, but that really wasn't accessible. It was like on a approval basis. And I just right. went, there's just so much that is unknown as far mm-hmm. as what's going to happen in the next few months that the biggest gamble felt like paying my dues in full. That was the biggest gamble I could I could. Yeah. Well, and as you said, you have so many other projects going Mm -hmm. on, which I'm excited to talk about all of these things that you're doing. Yes. Um, So why don't we get a little bit of backstory then? You said you were a kin for 27 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where did you get your kin degree from? University of Waterloo. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then did you go straight into working in rehab? Did you go into training? Like, what did you look like as a registered kinesiologist? Because there's so many different areas you can work. It wasn't registered at that time. Well, it wasn't registered at that time. No, but I did work as a kinesiologist and I didn't, I wasn't one of the ones who jumped into a gym. Mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate that, um, long story short, I had a, an issue with an SI joint back in like when I was young, 20. And I was seeing a physio at the time and it was, I didn't like the advice I was getting back was the fact of that you need to stop all activity for the next, you know, you're done. I'm like, I'm 22 years old. What do you mean a stop? And so I actually went into a physio clinic that I was referred to in my small town of Tilsenburg. And she was we went through and she was like, why does this not sit with you? What do you think? And then before we were done, she's like, would you like a job? So I had a job offer before I was done school. That's and awesome. You went for therapy and you came out with a job offer. I, right? <laughs> Who gets to do that? That was so awesome. And you know was, what I really like about that though? I feel like when somebody is a professional, this is not everybody, but I feel like I encounter this a lot where a, if you're a physio or a chiro and you have somebody who's maybe in the field, but not necessarily at your level, you know, mm-hmm. you weren't, you didn't even have your degree yet. No. But I like the fact that this physio could see that you knew your shit well enough to know like this doesn't make sense why am I stopping activity at 22 years old like you know this advice from this person doesn't make any sense no and they could recognize that you knew your shit enough to be like okay I would like you to work with me instead of saying well why do you think you know better I feel you know what I mean I feel like practitioners get their backs up the wall a lot and I I think that's really great that this person recognized that hey maybe this this Marshall lady knows what she's talking about that's a really good point she didn't get it there was no time she got her back up it was very quick she's like you know what is it that you don't agree with and I'm like well I think that's ridiculous that I'm done I and as kids we're taught to problem solve like that's what we Mm -hmm. we do we don't the, the thing I love about the profession of kinesiology is that it's not about saying, okay, my back hurts and then we spend time rehabbing the back. Like what if there's like ankle mobility issues? What if there's knee, like we think differently, we ask questions. So I was very fortunate because with her, I was in a rehab setting and working in rehab with clients and thought to uh, taught to think differently. So I was there for about seven years, but I realized there was this big gap then all of a sudden our clients would be discharged and then they didn't know where to go. So training, personal training was really like, this is showing my age, but that was not something that was happening. And I decided to take a look at, could I look at some post rehab work, which eventually started to go into kinesiology slash training with clients. And before I I knew it, I found myself in a position where I was seeing clients who had been struggling with injuries that were repeatedly being flared up, 
into how do I live a functional life? It's not about, you know, losing the 10 pounds. It's how do I get to be strong right. so that- How do I, I move? How do I, yeah. And yeah. I can maybe do the things I like, like golf and all of those things. So that's where it went to. So even during my years of training, that's that's how I trained was as a kinesiologist. You know, every time we have a kin in here and we have these discussions and I hear this, honestly, it does make me a little sad sometimes that I never- continued with my kinesiology because I I do think like that but mm -hmm. I I've turned myself into a massage therapist and yes I you know I do movement as part of so my treatments but yourself. but I really feel like I've yeah I really feel like I've just been the massage therapist for the mm -hmm. last nine years and I I really let a lot of the kin stuff go and it's funny because every really clinic bad. that has ever brought me in <laughs> yes okay <laughs> yesterday you were telling me to get on my my doula well, thing that too. do it all <laughs> there's so many things I have to do all the things and and, and, and raise two kids, right? Right. Yeah, no, big Nothing. no big deal. Nothing. No big deal. Nothing to that. <laughs> got a podcast, got to teach, got to be a doula, got to be a kin. <laughs> My God. I already thought I wore enough hats. But I know I really do get excited when we have kinesiologists in here because I'm like, oh, you just get it. Like mm -hmm. I... I went straight from getting my kinesiology degree into training. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge mistake in retrospect because I went into training in a gym that was focused on losing the 10 pounds and oh. having the abs. And I did it selling for, the big package yeah, and doing literally the, yeah. six months into it. I was like, I'm so yep. fucking miserable. <laughs> I hate this. I don't want, and I, I, I just literally walked away from fitness altogether. Yeah. I'm like, I want nothing to do with this industry. It's slimy. It's not what I, I set mm -hmm. out to do. And because then I went and took were, an office job. <laughs> because you were, you were in it at a time when there was tons of competition yeah. with big box gyms. Absolutely. And this was the way it rolled, right? There, there isn't massive competition with big box gyms anymore. What? No. There's, there's like three big box gyms now and that's it and they're all actually owned by good life <laughs> you know. Seriously, and there's gonna, one, and, and, and I still think there's going to be a lot of changes as we continue to move through this because I don't know how some of the big box gyms are going to do it at yeah. ten, fifteen dollars a month memberships. I just don't see how. Yeah, it's true. I don't have a clue how they're going to do it. So I think that I think there's always going to be a place for um, kinesiologists, and I think that there are people who really want solutions. Mm -hmm. They want solutions. They want to get stronger. Yeah, and I, like I said, I it's exciting for me because I do have a lot of clients that especially recently, I've been saying to them, you know, after we do what we do, why don't you go see Mark? He's a registered kin. You know, we can continue on getting you to where you need to be if you go to the kin next. And again, could I do this work with them? Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. Once I rebrand myself, right, Mark? That's right. <laughs> and just don't use that title, kinesiologist, or I'll have to report you. Yeah, you'll have to report me. I'm yeah. not acting as a kin, just so I'm <laughs> No, you're not a kin. After your... Wouldn't it suck if I actually reported you? It would. <laughs> Which one of us are you pointing to? <laughs> Either one of you. I'd be like... <laughs> would it suck for, for me who? or you? Yeah, that's oh, a great question. Come on. <laughs> that hurts. That's mean. That was mean. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so after your seven years working in this place, then you started training as well. Um, by the sounds of it, you like you loved kinesiology or you wouldn't have done it for 27 years. When did these other projects come into hmm. play? Well, they came into play by accident, which is sometimes how the universe works yep. and things just come your way. So probably 10 years ago, we, st I mean, and really backtrack for a second is that when you are working as a kinesiologist and you're problem solving, I had some clients who were learning how to walk again. You, you are coaching, yep. you are coaching them in a, in a sense. And so probably nine, 10 years ago, we started dealing with, um, 
some serious substance abuse issues with our kids. And what kind of substance abuse? So it started with marijuana and it started with um, a lot of, it just went into others. And from there, it was... It was one of the things, let me just say it this way. I know it's a legal substance that I get all kinds of thung, things with it. But with kids, for us, it came into our lives and it never went away. It came into our lives and it ramped up and it and never how, went away. how young were the kids when they started using? 12. That's really young. Yeah. yeah. 12 and 13. And, okay. and it just like it literally, I said it became a monster. It just came in and it never left. And in a lot, you know, a lot of, I mean, lots of kids do things and teens do things. But when you get to the point that we were at where they stop going to school, they stop coming home, you're fighting the legal system, you're, it's just was, I received many, many, many much education with how the system works during those years. And I still didn't have this in mind. Like, this is not where I thought it was going. I was just trying to survive. I was Mm -hmm. literally trying to survive. It was, it was a horrible time in our lives. And it just continued and continued and continued. And, um, at one point I, I think I got into a Facebook group where I was connected with a lot of other moms who were dealing with this. And that was my moment where I was like, wait a minute, this is like, I'm not the only person who's struggling with this. I'm mm-hmm. not a bad person. I'm not a bad mom. I'm not like, I, we tried everything we could think of. And like I said, it didn't go away. And then I decided to start, I just organically started sharing my story and it spread from there. But all while doing that, hiding so that no one else would know that there was trouble at home because like hiding from just I was still working full time. I'm like fighting to keep my job, my clients, my sanity. I'm not sleeping. I'm not all of these things. My personal health was a mess. My mindset was a mess. And but if you were my client and you would say, how are you? Or how are the kids? I could masterfully deflect fine, back. At, Great. Fine. How are Everyone's you doing? Fine. How is every- and yep. it, you just do that and you live with that facade until you can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's where I went to and until finally I started I was helping out at the school I was very open with the school what was going on and I didn't try and hide it there and I was always asking for help many times it would be just like well let's just hope they make it till 18 like let's just hope like the the advice was insane with what you can do this is what the school saying to you school like, police let's just, hope. Uh, let's just hope and when you're in that position it's kind of a bit mind-blowing for people who don't realize it let me see if i can remember how my husband said it as kids they have all the rights and no responsibility and as parents you have all the responsibility and you have no rights so it's a really, it's almost a perfect storm that blows up in the process. How deep are your kids into drugs? And what kind of drugs are we talking about? Um, and if, you don't have to say anything you don't want. That's okay. It 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 went into a lot of ways that I don't think I would ever know now. Um, like my kids ended up being like, we, we had them out of the house many times where they couldn't come in, they couldn't stay. And we're talking about small things. We're talking about like, like you know, leaving and being gone for three or four days. So are we saying that they, they moved on to things like heroin? No, as far as I know, as far as I know, okay. there was no needles okay. involved. Okay. But there was a lot of other things that were involved. So we're smoking everything. Mm-hmm. Anything that we can get our hands on. I think so at that time, if I had to guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how how are they getting money to score crack? Well, you're getting money by selling it at a young age. Gotcha, gotcha. You're getting gotcha. it by selling at a young age. And and I remember the first time 
I haven't shared this before in a podcast, so we'll see how this goes. Um, I remember the first time that an officer came to the house and said, your son is a runner. And I'm like, what's a runner? Like, mm. I, I did not know what a runner was. And right. here we are at 14 dealing mm. with a runner. And the reason that they use kids to do that is because, because they're, they're, they don't they're have minors. any, there's their minors. They have no legal consequences. Mm, so right. before you know it, you've got kids who are running drugs who come from very like families that you would never suspect. Oh, for sure. They're running it. Now they're making money and they get to have access That's to right. what they're using anyway. See, because a lot of people think it's like uh, inner city kids. This is this is white picket fence. This is well, white picket and this fence. Is, yeah, this is, this is the thing is that people don't realize. And again, like you said, it's families that you wouldn't expect. Never. It, it wasn't like these kids had a bad family life or they no. had exposure to this at home. They met people. And kids are impressionable. They met people yeah. who convinced them, look at all this money you can make mm-hmm. and look what you can do and you can be independent. And then once you get in it, then it just spirals. When, you, when you're when you're watching all this happen and I know you're thinking back like, where the fuck did I go wrong? Oh, 100%. What did you come up with? So this took me a really long time to go through, honestly. Like I blame myself for a long time. I blame myself for where they were at. I blame myself for everything that was going wrong. Do you still blame yourself? Um, Not anymore. Okay. No, not anymore. Because at the end of the day, I can look back and go and I can ask myself honestly, like is there any stone that I did not turn over to mm-hmm. try and get help in any way, shape, perform. And I turned them all over. I would take the checklist from the counselors, from the support. And I remember the officer saying, okay, but you've done, so did you this, 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 we go through it. And I said, yeah, I did them all. And he goes, okay, well, there's nothing else you can do. I'm like, well, they're 14. What do you mean? There's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, hopefully you make it till 18. We'll see what happens. And I'm like, do you want them to be in the prison system? Like, is this how you want? Because I don't, but this is where we're going with mm-hmm. this. And For the number of times that, and I hope this lands with a parent, for the number of times I tried to reinforce for some consequence legally, because there was a lot of things happening. There was money going. There was things like there was a lot of things that they were trying to do at that time to live how they how they wanted to keep living. And at that time, I just sat there and went like, I what else am I supposed to do? And they're like, nothing, you've done it all. I'm like, you want me just to let go and just let, like, just give up? Cause I don't want to give up. Mm-hmm. So then I had to come to a space of like, I love you, but that's not my choice. Like what you're doing is your choice. If you want to live your life this way, then that's your choice. And it sounds almost bizarre to think about it and say it aloud, but that's the mantra that I had to start to go through is realizing that that's not my choice. I love you, but this is your journey and this is what you're doing. Mm. And so I had to go to that space to not, not take full ownership. It doesn't mean that do I look back and think I wish I could have done some things differently? hundred percent, a hundred percent. I wish I could have. And, but I don't know at the same time what I would have done differently because from the moment, if I asked my kids from the moment I found pot in the house on a regular basis at 12 years old, was there ever a time that you were unclear that I didn't want it in the house. And the answer was like, oh God, no, you were so like, you were just, you let us know what you thought. I'm like, so there was no confusion. No. Well, I'm like, okay, so I don't know what else I could have done differently. Do you feel pot is a gateway? I think pot is a gateway for some kids at a certain age, especially if there's a lot of addiction in the family. What do you think about the legalization of pot then? I think, here's the thing. I got a lot of opinions on this, but I think that, I, th- I don't have an issue with the legalization of it. I think that money could be put, as if money was being put back in to help support 
other, like say kids that are dealing with substance abuse issues. I would love to see that. I think that in Canada, um, like there's so many good properties of CBD oil, but we don't put the time and resources into that. If that's actually supposed to be as good a quality product to help people with other ailments, then mm-hmm. I would love to see the resources put into that. But instead, it's put into the most addictive piece of it as possible. And at the end of the day, in all honesty, like, is that going to stop a 14-year-old from getting it absolutely illegally? No, like, it's not. ridiculous. So it didn't ever change our situation. That's how I looked at it. Right. I wasn't, people would say all the time, oh my God, you must be so pissed off about that. I'm like, I don't think it affects me at all mm-hmm. because it's the kids are still going to get off the street. For sure. Yep. Yeah, because when your kids were getting it, it wasn't legal. It wasn't legal. No, it's only it's, been legal for three years. <laughs> any way to get it, like yeah. it's not. That's not the issue. No. I just don't. Yeah, I just. I was I, just curious from from yeah. from a parent who has children that have substance issues, and it started with pot, and you feel it's kind of a gateway. Yeah. Then you know, what's your take on it being legal? I was yeah. Curious. Yeah, that's just my thought. It's a, I would love to see the, the, I think there's still a big gap in the system as far as supporting kids who are legally getting into trouble or in a system that I think that there's ways that we could be helping them. And I just don't see that. Yeah. Cause again, the, it seems very, very young. Like they were obviously being influenced by probably people much older, you know? Well, and, and here's the thing. It scares a lot. I don't, I just telling about where we were at grade seven and eight is when we first started to see it. And I mean, I remember about three or four months before that I found out there were kids from high school bringing, you know, try this after school, try this. Oh. So they were bringing it in. And I remember catching, seeing something like that, going to the school, the principals. And yes, there was a big thing that happened at the time. Didn't really stop what what followed from that, but it was available for them. And it was given mm-hmm. like from kids who were older, who were bringing that down. And the, the hard part is, is that where it was actually coming from is so many far, so far up the chain that you're never going to stop the cycle because no. it doesn't, it's like the person who's actually distributing it and making the money is like five steps ahead of where yeah. it's actually coming to these kids who are, you know, 12 and 13 years old. I can say too, from my own experience being in grade seven and eight and being in high school, yep. it was always very easily available. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I remember yeah. being in, I, th- I want to say I was in grade seven and I had just moved to a new school. And I don't know if it was because of my age or maybe it was the original school I went to, which just had, you know, much more innocent kids. Mm-hmm. I had never seen it, heard about it, anything before I moved schools. So I started this new school, which was actually in a better neighborhood than my original school. <laughs> yes. But so funny enough, because I literally, I grew up in like not such a nice place yep. and then moved to a nicer place. And it was when I moved to the nicer neighborhood, I remember somebody at my, I don't know, maybe 13th birthday, somebody gave me as my birthday gift, a small little bag of weed. Mm -hmm. And I had never even seen it before. Yeah, I was 13. And I remember just looking at it. I didn't even know what to do with it. I'd never seen it before. I ended up giving it away because I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this doesn't mean anything to me. But that's how young I was like with your kids. I was that young when suddenly it was there. Mm -hmm. And then I started realizing how many kids in my class and in the grade eight Did you tell your folks about it or just out of curiosity? No. See, because I was, I'd never, I I didn't smoke anything until I was, you know, almost going into university. I remember the first time I got stoned because I had a buddy in high school who would smoke pot all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was kind of a drinker in late high school, right? So, you know, I got loaded one day and then I, I, I had a joint with him, but I was always scared 
of my fucking parents because mm-hmm. I wasn't from a house like my house was spare the rod spoil the child like I wow. would get fucking wailed on if I did anything that was remotely out of line mm-hmm. forget the idea of breaking the fucking law are you kidding me so I had like that big fear of like wait till your father gets home kind of thing that's how we grew up that's how wet that's definitely how we grew up and I, with our kids I yeah I it was it certainly I wouldn't look back and go oh we enabled and coddled and all right, those right, things right. that's not how I saw how we parented at all like literally once um, once we started dealing with the issues, it's just our parenting had to amplify what mm-hmm. we were trying to do. I mean, at that point, you know, we go through all the arguments with kids and when they're teenagers, they know everything because we all did. And when you go through those kind of arguments, it's a case of, okay, but yeah, you can call it better than alcohol. But if you have to wake up in the morning and have a drink, if you have to wake up, you have to do that before you in, like lunchtime in order to get through the afternoon. Now you need it after school and now you have to have it to go to bed. Like that's called dependency. Like yeah. that is an addiction. Yeah. I don't care what it is. I, I just wanted to mention something because you talked about you were afraid of your parents. Oh, yeah. um, Still scared. You know. And they're <laughs> small and old. <laughs> they, are, they are really small. So it's funny. But <laughs> now that we have children yep. and you and I were just talking about this the other day, yep. it's amazing when you're watching your children grow up and realizing it doesn't matter sometimes what you do as a parent. Not that it doesn't matter. Of mm-hmm. course, like you have to be there. But these little people are their own little people. Mm-hmm. Like your 100%. attitude of this is your journey. This is your choice. I love you, but this is your choice. You don't have any other choice because you no. can do everything as a parent sometimes. No. And if your kid is this way, your kid is this way. That's it, it. Like it's not, it's not all, it doesn't all come down to the parents. Well, it's, this is who this person is. You end up like when they're young, I always say the example, I couldn't agree with you more. When, when they're younger and they are going, um, like they're, they're screaming in the grocery store aisle because they want the chocolate bar and you give them the chocolate bar and you see the parent who does that and you look at them, you're like, oh my God, like can you just parent your kid? Well, they like they're very impressionable when they're young, but there comes a point that honestly, like we don't share a brain with them. They have to make their own decisions. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so we have to let them make their own decisions. So when I look back, if you ask me something that I wish could have happened sooner, it would have been that they would have fallen sooner. Like as parents, we don't want our kids to fall. We don't right. want them to hurt them. Like we don't want that to happen. But like, w- come on. So when did the, when did we learn? Like, when did we learn when shit went wrong? Like, that's when we figured it out. Dad was pissed. Okay, guess I better not do that again. What's the bigger emotion at the time? Anger or frustration or, you know, you've just lost all hope? Like, No, I think anger is first. I think anger was first. Frustration because you're doing the same shit day in, day out. Like, day in, day out. You're not sleeping. You're trying to work and you're trying to manage. I don't know how you did that. And it was awful. It was years. I didn't, I don't remember, to be honest. I really don't. And you're seeing a side of your kids that, so here's the other thing that, because I don't have any experience with drugs. Like, I really don't. Um, Is that I didn't see mellowness happen that I would have expected with pot. That's not what I would see. I would see rage. If they could, if they couldn't get it, it was rage. Mm. If I tried to take it away, it was rage. So I was seeing levels of at one point that I was like, these are not my kids anymore. Like this is not, this is not who I was raising. So I had to separate and detach from a point because it's like, this is just, it's just not them anymore. This is something that they're going to have to figure out on their own. And yeah, that's scary. It sounds like I'm being really nonchalant, but it was really freaking scary. Like it was scary that I was going to lose them. Mm -hmm. And 
but I had lost them in a sense already. So that's how my brain had to process it. And it was many years of, you know, um, months not seeing them, not seeing them for Christmas, not knowing what a birthday was going to look like. And they would be in and out of the house. And sometimes they'd come back. Sometimes it didn't work. They was, it ever, was it ever a point where you can't come back? Yes, yes. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. How did that go down? Not good. Not good. Like that was a really tough time. Um, that was a really tough time for all of us because nobody wants their 16 year old to be out living on a street. You don't want that. And, but I didn't know what to do anymore. And it became a case of it's not safe for us here. Even just hearing this guy gets so fucking riled up, man. I don't know. I, yeah. I, what does it bring up for you? I, you know what? I, I, <laughs> Like I can imagine myself fucking following my kid and any, oh, I did that. And anyone that my just yep. that just that just that's just in this in this in this place. Yeah. Like I can see myself getting fucking physical yeah. with some motherfucker that's messing around with my child to the point where I would end up doing something really horrible. Well, there's actually since we're sharing here, mm -hmm. we did like there was one point where I think it was the perfect storm and there was one parent, a single mom, who thought it was okay for the kids to do it in the house because she was the good mom because she knew where the kids were. I was yeah. the bad mom. She would because, have a rock through her window. Yeah. I was yeah, so good. And I remember one point the police pulled me off of her sidewalk because I'm I'm like, I'm gonna kill her. Mm -hmm. I'm actually I'm just gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna get like I don't care what your rules are. And but in her mind, and she made that clear, she was the good mom because mm -hmm. she was, you know, at least her kids were safe. Mm. But so, you know, you start to look at the biology of it and 13-year-old boys, 12, 13-year-old boys, like their brains are mushed seriously. Your kids are safe doing it here, but my kid has a fucking problem. Yeah. So this is not working. It's not working. No. And you know what? It's It, it happens way more than you think. Like sure. way more. Now, I mean, we've had it, like we've got, my kids are 22 and 21 now. We have really unique, fun, I say fun relationships that we have very open conversations about mm. things now. So they're completely all clean, sober. Yeah, I would say as far as as far as I know, as far as I as far as I know, I I mean they're very functioning and what they like my my oldest son is um finishing his diploma in business at at Conestoga College, but also in Canadian securities. So he's brilliant. Mm. Brilliant. I remember when he was in grade nine and his teacher said to me, he said, I'm really worried about him. And I said, why is that? She, he said, because it's not cool for a boy to be smart. Mm. It's not cool. And he's really, really smart. Right. But that's just how he. That's how it goes sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I know they have many, to... many brilliant people mm -hmm. who have gone down this path before. I have family members. Mm -hmm. I have good friends. Most brilliant guy I know. He's he's down in Miami, and you've met him before, my buddy Ernesto, and he's like the literally the one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. And he just got wrapped up in so much shit, fast and easy. It was yep. like yeah, and that's how we watched it. So anyway, he was very smart, and my youngest son hated school on all aspects of school and hated it, and very creative. Creative, very athletic jock. He was proud, like everything he touched, he could do. Mm. And he really stepped into deciding that he wanted to design and sew clothing and sell it. So he creates the like jeans, pants, bags, yeah. and he sells them and he's doing something he loves doing. Nice. And here's the thing as parents, I mean, a lot of parents can get... I don't think I was on that track, you know, but you do want your kids to obviously like graduate school 
go to university what or whatever and have an opportunity to be able to have a job. But then there comes a point where I'm like, ah, they're alive and they're happy. I'm good. Like I mm-hmm. actually, I changed when my oldest decided that he wanted to go back and finish high school. He was a year and a half before he did that. Mm-hmm. And when he he came back and he said, I think I want to go back and finish. I don't want to wash dishes forever. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Like, see, instead of trying to fix things, you're like, let him, let yeah, him figure sure. this out. And he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. And so he did and he went back and I remember when he graduated and I was like, do you want to do like go to graduation? Because nah, I don't want to. I don't really care. And I'm like, well, I, mean, I just I'm happy and I'm proud of you for this. And he's like, mom, it's not a big deal. It's not that hard. And I remember saying to a friend, like, I was just so proud of him for that. And she looked at me and because this is how people can be. And she looked at me and she was, but what is he going to do with that? Seriously? Like, why would you like, he's got to do something else than that. And I'm like, you know what? Right now he's alive and happy. Like I'm like winning as a parent. <laughs> I'm happy. People are also, I think if Fuck people em. get really stuck, <laughs> yeah. if people get really stuck in this is what's supposed to happen next. Yeah. And there's all these timelines, <laughs> right? It's, there's all these timelines. We now know being adults and having experience in the world, you can decide on a career when you're fucking 50. You can decide to do... Exactly. Like, here you are after 27 years as a registered kinesiologist and now... The universe kind of threw all this stuff in your lap. I mean, yes, obviously it started a decade ago. Yep. But you took your young children having a substance abuse issue and somehow turned that into a community and a coaching business and you podcast and you're an author like I know all of these things came out of shit yeah and so yeah fuck the person who's saying well what's he gonna do after high school you know what he'll figure that out he's 20 like it's not no he's his life hasn't even started he's a young person and at some point if he knew enough to come to you and say I don't want to wash dishes for the rest of my life he wasn't just gonna go get the high school diploma and then stop no he'll he'll do something but he's got to figure it out yeah and there's no timeline right no he's 23 and he's going to be done school in the year like it's i don't know why we do that these kids are going to school at like 17 for no offense but like a psychology degree i love it's like but do you know what i'm saying really what are they gonna do really (laughs) like i said to him i don't want you to i remember even before we ran into these issues i remember saying to them if you don't know what you want to do and you want to take a year off and you want to flip burgers and do whatever, like do, do it. it, just yeah. do it. So we, that was, it's so funny, but that was our mindset before this ever even happened. We weren't the parents. We had lots of friends whose, their parents were like, you are going to school, you are doing this, this is what you're taking. I'm like, we didn't have any of that. Those are the parents I grew up with. And so listening to this, I I started to think like, is it because you, you had no choice but to take a different path, right? Because you mm-hmm. had these kids who got wrapped up in in like illegal drugs at such a young age, which I just want to mention for anybody listening, we talked about legalization. Yes, weed is legal, but let's all keep in mind too that all of the research also suggests that it is not safe for young brains that are still developing. So well, as just a because parent, it's legal. I mean, there's exactly. still an age limit. Well, exactly. It. It's like there alcohol. Has, exactly. There has to be an all age limit. US I'm just, yeah, I, I, no. I can assume some people might think like, oh, it's weed, no big deal. But it is a big deal when somebody is 13, 14. Yeah, when your brain's still developing. Can I add one thing quick to that too, is the fact that they talk about that, say a 13-year-old starts it, like their brain development 
Morgan is technically that of a 13-year-old. So yeah. he can then be 16, 17, 18, but the technical brain, de- especially if it's something they're using regularly, mm-hmm. their brain development is of that age that exactly. they started at. So you like there were times I had an 18-year-old that I'm like, what is wrong with him? Like, why is he acting this way? Yeah. Because technically, that's where he was at at that point for processing. Right. Yeah. These, these drugs, although we say like, sure, they're safe, it's legal. Yeah. For an adult. And these are adult things. Same thing with drinking. Alcohol, sure. I can go out and have a glass of wine. Do I want my 13-year-old kid drinking wine? Of course not. No. Um, but yeah, and it, what I was saying is it's you had no choice but to sort of let your kids take a different path. Um, when I was in high school, my parents were always getting that from the teachers that because I was I, I hate saying this about myself, but true. I was a really, really smart kid. Mm-hmm. And hate I mean, I, I hate it because it sounds like I'm I'm being like I'm bragging about it. Right. But I was a really, really smart kid. But it wasn't cool to be smart. And so when I went to high school, that's when teachers started to see that, you know, I was skipping classes. I wasn't really paying attention because I also knew that I could show up to class, write a test, get an 80 and walk out. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And, you know, the teachers were constantly on my parents like she could have like 90s, like why, you know, she doesn't try. And so then my mom would come to me and like, you know, you're not living up to your potential. And I'm like, stop crying. I'm still getting A's. Like, <laughs> relax. But anyway, I didn't get into drugs or anything. Eventually, I smartened up and started going to school and actually applying myself. But early high school, I was that kid. Mm-hmm. And then I had those parents that were, okay, now you need to go to university. And I didn't know what I wanted to do because who knows what they want to do with their life you at 17, don't. 18 years old. Okay. I had no idea. But they were saying there is no other choice because they felt if I took a year off, I might slack off and no, yes. not go back. They felt that university was the only option. Mm-hmm. And I think it was that fear because they saw like how I could get so lazy and not care. And, you know, they wanted to keep pushing me. So I lived up to my potential. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm looking at the way that you sort of had to approach your kids. But it to me, it, it, it just makes a lot of sense for everyone. Like a 17-year-old doesn't know what they want to do. Maybe we need to be a little bit less concerned about the timeline and let these kids figure out who they are and what they want to do and you know trust that they're going to make the right choice, not nothing... force them into a psychology degree that they don't actually care about. No, I think that's a great point. There's nothing wrong with them letting them figure it out. And like I said, if you want to go flip burgers and you tell me, hey, mom, I love flipping burgers, I'd be like, great. That's awesome. If you want to do that while you figure it out, you're still going to pay rent. You're still paying for your phone. You're still doing these things because that's life and you're an adult now. Like that's literally how I would look at it is that it's your opportunity to experience life a little bit differently. If that's what you want to do, then do it. I was getting the hmm from Mark because I I sense a disagreement that our kids are going to have to go to university. It's not so much a disagreement. I don't, I, hmm, uh, how am I going to say this? They're going to university. That's the first. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Check back. How well, old are they? <laughs> Three and six. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Mar- see, Mark's an academic and he was always a really good student. He was always the straight A student. Just, he always did work just really mean, hard. You can do whatever you want in life. You want to flip burgers? Go flip burgers. Cool. But do it with a degree. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> and the degree in whatever you fucking want. You want mm-hmm. a degree in this? Then go do it. You want a degree that's going to lead to no job in the world? Then fucking fine. Go do it. But don't close the fucking door. That's mm-hmm. the only thing I'm saying. Yeah. And if you want to, and, and if you want to go work for the city picking up garbage, then fine. But at least you have this. And and if you wanted to apply to chiropractic college, at least you have the opportunity to can do I, so. Can I give Marcia some context on the degree? We've had a lot of discussions <laughs> lately about 
higher education yeah. because there are a lot of people who don't see university degrees as valuable. And we completely disagree with that. Like I'm on the same page as him where it's the bare minimum. It's <laughs> it is I would not trade my kin degree for any even if I never no, use it. I would not same. trade it for anything. I think what I learned in university was so valuable. For one thing, critical thinking, which I've and again, I feel kind of bad saying this, but I don't, but I do, but I don't. Um, in recent discussions with certain friends of mine where things have gone really badly, I've actually lost a couple of friends recently over ridiculous like political <laughs> really disagreements. Friends, anyways, right. Yes. But I've lost a couple of friends <laughs> over these ridiculous things. In having these discussions, I said to Mark, one thing that I've, I've noticed is that the people who are really unwilling to listen to any other perspectives or are unwilling to agree to disagree or, you know, so hard set on these things, I'm like, it's all of my friends who didn't pursue any higher education. I feel like going to university oh, and being forced to be in debates and take the philosophy classes and learn how to think critically. And do, I feel like that was valuable in being able to maybe understand different perspectives. I find a lot of the narrow minded people I've had to deal with lately. I'm like, oh, you're the people that didn't go to school, actually, because mm -hmm. I want her to be I want I want them to be surrounded by all of it. I want them to be surrounded by the hardcore academics. I want them to be surrounded by the other deadbeat kids. I want them to be surrounded by it all. Do you see what I'm saying? And then they and are. Then, You're the then, hardcore academic. I'm and the then dead for, kid. And then for everyone that says, "Well, the degree is useless," you know, blah blah blah. Well, it kind of is. Who do we have on the couch? I can't remember what her name was because I know her real name. But uh, when we did the stuff about the private schools and blah 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 blah, and she was saying, "Listen." The bottom line is a university degree now is the equivalent to like a high school diploma. If you want a job anywhere, mm -hmm. you kind of need a university degree. So even just that alone, just for the idea of it, it, it allows the opportunity for certain for certain jobs to be open to you by having it. Does that make sense? Am I making sense to you? Because you're staring at me like oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm just I'm just listening. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I definitely think having a degree opens doors that might not be open for you if you didn't have a degree. I also yeah. think it's not for everybody. It's not I, for I That's definitely fine. think it's for they're... our children, though. Why are you laughing like that? <laughs> I might have to check back. Yeah, you're we gonna have do. to check back. How are you gonna say that when she they're three and six? We it's don't know who children. they're gonna be. We don't know who they're gonna no, be. No, you think you know. Like you think, you, think you, know. you know. You think you know, but you don't know. And then it becomes a point of okay, I can barely make them get to high school. How am I gonna am I gonna seriously spend like a hundred thousand dollars and they're not invested. Like if they're not invested at all, then what's that? Like I can't, I actually can't make them mm -mm. go. Mm -hmm. And I had a teacher say that to me once. She's like, you know, your son didn't show up today. And I'm like, well, I dropped him off at the front door. And I'm, she literally, this is high school. So not, we're not talking grade school. Mm -hmm. I dropped him off to school today. And she said, well, he didn't, he must've come in and went out the back door. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what to say to that. I'll talk to him later. And she said, it is your job to make sure he gets to class. I was like, what the? You want me to hold his I hand? I said, do you in want me school? to hold his hand to get to classroom? Because if I do that, then your job is to promise he actually learned something in the hour that he's supposed to be there. So can we just for a second be real that you can be a great teacher? You can't guarantee that that you're going to have the attention of all thirty students the no, whole time. Exactly. So it was a very ridiculous thing. Like you can do, you can do so much. There just became a point in our life that it was like. I like school was a hard one for me to let go of. I'm not going to lie. Like mm -hmm. letting go of the fact I kept saying, like, I'm just, I'm so scared that they're not going to have any opportunities for anything because they don't have school or they're right. not going to school. And I remember a counselor saying to me saying that I don't know if they're going to be alive. 
Like, let's just focus on what you can right now. And I don't know if they're going to be alive. So forget school. How do you even hear that as Mm -hmm. a mother? I don't know if they're going to be alive. Yeah. We almost lost them both in a span of of four days. One was one was in the one was in the hospital for a suicide attempt while the other one overdosed. So one was actually in the hospital while the other one overdosed. Holy shit. And that was the moment, if I'm totally real, that was the moment that I'm like, fuck, I got no control. Like I got I think I got control. I have no control. And the both things happened in my house. So as a parent, you think you're keeping them safe by keeping them home and both things happen there. That was my light bulb moment to go, this is not mine anymore. This is Well, you know mine. what? If it happened somewhere else, it could have been a whole different story. Yes. Mm. For me, it was just a case of you think you're keeping them safe. I, no, I, I get it. I get and it. And then it's like, I'm not. Like, I'm not. Because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't stop this. Like, I can't mm-hmm. stop this train. Mm-hmm. This train, I tried to stop it. So the ironic thing is, and this is a thing I would say as a message for parents, is that I had to take care of me first. The more I started to take care of me, because I was a freaking wreck at that time, the more I started to do that and just understanding like, that's not my choice. This is your choice. If that's what you want to choose, I love you, but that's not my choice. This is your choice. And it became a case because what happens is that two people can't on the same problem at the same time. So as a parent, you're trying to fix, manage, control everything that's happening with your kids. And the more you try and own that, the less consequences they have for any of their own choices. And it's okay for them to have consequences for their own choices. Mm -hmm. That's how they decide if they want to do something differently. But if you're always micromanaging all of their choices, then they don't ever have to make a decision. Well, yeah, if you're always bailing them out, then they don't see any consequences. It's like, no problem. Mom will fix it. Mom will deal with it. Yeah. And that's when I had to... So. I decided to, because I wasn't sure I was going to make it any longer. That's where, I, to be honest, I remember being on the floor going, I'm out. Like, I'm out. I don't want to, I don't want to watch this movie anymore. I don't want to be part of this. We've done this for years. I mean, we're barely holding on to a marriage at this point. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. And that was a point of like, okay, then you have to stop trying to manage, control, fix everything that's happening with them. They have mm-hmm. got to figure this out themselves. And if this is the path they choose, then fine. If not, then they'll figure it out. I will support you. I won't fix it, but I will support you. And that's how my brain had to work through the situation. And as I did that, I was able to come to a space of being stronger, feeling stronger, better health, mental health. So then I could handle what was happening. Did you do that by yourself or you 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 had help with that? I had help with that. I did. I did a lot of counseling. I did a lot of support groups. Um, and I had, you know, it was, it was at one point when a, a counselor said to me, that if your kids decide to come back to you, you've got to be a springboard for them. And right now you're a pile of quicksand. You got nothing. And I went, that's so true. I, I knew I didn't have anything. It didn't, it didn't happen overnight. It took a long time for me to rebuild that. But as I started to do that, here's the thing. I had to take control of myself in order to change my own circumstances, which is the exact same thing everybody else had to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's just ownership. That's where like my entire platform comes from is it's taking ownership for ourselves. Did they do 12 steps? Mm -mm. Mm. No. So let's let's talk about how this experience, which lasted for years Years. and like literally and figuratively tore you down. Yeah. I would say, um, 
I, I would say for sure six to seven, eight, like in there. It's, it was such a blur of time. Does it go fast or slow? It's um, it's weird. It's both. It's like when you're in the when middle in of it, it it's, slow. it's when you're in it, it's slow. It's like when having I, a newborn. The days are long. The years yes, are short. Yes. Yes. A little mm. bit of both. I would say a little bit of both. And um, yeah, you're just trying to survive. You're just literally trying to survive. So better part of a decade, you're dealing with. These this stuff with your kids and also yourself and your marriage and your and you're you've now fallen apart you've hit rock bottom yeah how does this sorry, turn one more into th- one more thing yeah. before because I feel like you're leaving this one more I thing am. sorry you and your husband are you guys on the, were you on the same page of stuff or so we were on the same page and if you listen to this I love him dearly he knows <laughs> <laughs> he's awesome um we were I I did leave for a period of time I did leave because I think at that point it was I remember sitting there going there's just no universe I would sign up for this like this is just bullshit like who lives like this gotcha and I remember saying I don't choose this and when I when I decided to leave I left at one point and that was really hard for me because leaving meant quitting like that I felt like I was quitting and I'm not a quitter but it was not that it's that I had to choose me for the first time Mm. and when I did that he really got to see firsthand how bad it was at that point and I mean it was nothing for us to have police at our house three times a week nothing nothing so he got to see that firsthand even more. And then it just took us a lot of work to get to a space. We've been married 27 years. He's fantastic. He really is. And I think it's, you know what, you each have to work through marriages. Like marriage is a challenge. Let's be real. It's like, it's it's awesome and it's a challenge. And two, two full parts can only make one happy marriage. Two broken pieces can't make a good marriage. Mm-hmm. And we were both broken. Because this, nobody wants to watch this. Nobody wants yeah. to watch yep. this. And we weren't blaming each other. It wasn't even that. It was just that we were just like, well, fuck, what else are we supposed to try? Like, I don't even know what else to do. Mm-hmm. So I think we were just broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I was saying, but I mean, that's important too. I, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about bringing your husband into the conversation because yeah, he was the other piece there. Yeah. It was the four of you. Well, and he's a big tough guy let's just say it this way he's a crossfitter he's been like a sports his whole life he's like he's just a big he's just he looks at it and he's like just stop doing this like just stop and make a different choice but that we're just in a different state they weren't able to at that point so he would take the logical analytical brain and going like just stop this shitty behavior and fix this but that's just not how it didn't work we tried yeah yeah we tried and then somehow through all of this, another business I, spawned out of this. So what came first? Was it the coaching or like no, did you? My book came first. Your book came first. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your book first. So my, I didn't know it was going to be a book, but I started sharing my story and I started speaking in, you know, small groups and, and you know, more Mondays and small stages. And I started to realize that like, I had a story. I didn't want to spend all my time talking about my story, which it sounds like I did, but I don't, is the fact that it's that there was lessons that I learned on the story that were relevant to a lot of people. And that's when I just could see every time I would do a talk, somebody would come up and they would say like, oh my God, you just shared my story that I never told a soul. I never told anyone we were struggling with our kids. So there's such a shame wrapped Mm -hmm. around, oh my God, you have challenges in your house. Like who doesn't? And there's this shame wrapped around it. So as I started to do that, um, I still really hadn't told a lot of people. My family knew what was going on. Um, but at that point, I just really didn't, I tried to pretend like everything was okay. 
And then um, C- CBC Radio asked me to come in for an interview. So I came in. I'm like, well, who listens to CBC Radio anyways? Apparently a lot of people. <laughs> There's a lot of you. There's, There's a, a lot, lot of people. people. Yeah. And I remember going and it was like 7 o'clock in the morning and we did the interview. It's because they have so many fucking channels. <laughs> It's just like <laughs> CBC Radio so, One, Radio Two, Radio Three, so Radio naive. Eight Point Seven. Like they have so it's many channels. So naive. But they they did an interview the day before to ask me some questions, and he said, "You know what? I think we need to bring you in live I, because I think they have to check to make sure I'm not some crazy mom who's screaming about the system and blah blah blah." So I came in and we did the interview and I remember within minutes afterwards, my phone was absolutely blowing up and I'm like, oh shit, people actually listen to CBC radio. And I, I can't even tell you how many people. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, I don't have to tell anybody more because it's out there. And it, I felt this huge relief of my story was shared. And you no longer had to be two people. I didn't have you to be can two just, people anymore. Yeah, you were the, you were the mom oh. that had some shitty things happen. You had some challenges and that's fine because yeah. majority of us have had shitty things happen and have challenges. But like you said, everyone just keeps that to themselves because, well, I can't let people know that my life isn't perfect. My Instagram shows differently. So <laughs> it, it needs it to look perfect and polished and pretty and yeah. look it's at all the real. family fun we have. And really mm-hmm. 10 seconds before that, we we're all screaming at each other. Absolutely. But yeah. you better take that picture 10 times with a filter. Yep. And so we did that. And I, 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 I shared the story and then I started sharing it more. And then I remember somebody saying to me along the way, I think you have a book. And I'm like, a book? I don't have a book. I can't even fathom doing this. But what happened is I was really starting to understand that it was my story that I share. Like the things I shared today, I don't share a lot of that because that's not, it really is at the end of the day, it's my story. They have their own story that they share. And for me, it's like, what do you do as a mom when your life plan is no longer your plan? Like, what do you do? And how do you how do you come through that? How do you learn how to I always talk about stand in your story versus stand on it. When we're in it, we're victims. We are we are victims. We use all the victim words. We ask why. We're angry. We're resentful. But when we're on it, we know how to share it from our own perspective and what lessons did we learn and how can we help others and how can we make an impact with it and how can we share what we went through and take away the shame piece. So when I started to put it together, realize it was a book. And it took me a little bit, but the title is when she stopped asking why, because why that's what, that was the turning point for me. The why had to go. I had to stop asking why, because the why was a victim question. The why only matters when you have a goal that you're going towards. When you're asking yourself, why is something happening? You're a victim. So the turning point for me was every time I asked why I had just had to ask what, like, what do I do next? What do I change? And it became all about action. And from there, it spiraled into teaching women and helping parents who I really started with parents and helping them with how to deal with their kids. And it didn't take long before I realized that is not what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. at all. Because when you're in that space, you just want to keep your kids alive. You really want to keep them alive. So when you're being told that, no, um, you actually have to like take care of yourself first and a mom says, but you don't understand. Like, well, I, I don't know how to keep my kids alive. Well, you can't. You actually can't. You have to t- You have to take care of yourself first. So it didn't take me long to realize that's not the path I wanted to go. But over time, as I started to speak on different stages and started coaching, that I realized I was having this 
you know, six months worth of these women asking me, like, how do you share a difficult story? Like, how do you do that though? And then I started to realize like, wait a minute, maybe that is something. So now I just, now I teach women how to pull the lessons from their story so that they can show up as their most authentic person to run their business. And when people spend all this time in business trying to figure out like who their niche is and what is important, I think your niche comes from you because you can only teach on something that you know about. Like you just, you've lived it. You've lived those lessons. And I had this question this morning actually with a potential client. She was like, but I mean, I don't know what my niche is and I'm just trying to take all these courses on being a niche. I'm like, I can tell you in like five, five minutes. Like who, like what's your story? She's like, what does that have to do with it? And I'm like, it has everything to do with it. You have to know who you are to know what your niche 100%. is. You have like when we teach our business course, the first 90 minutes of our course is self-awareness. Um, self-awareness. If you don't know who, if you don't know who you are, how can you, how can you possibly run a business authentically and have people, have people resonate with you if there's no, if you're you're not genuine, you have to be yourself. So you have to know yourself. And how can you know yourself if all you're ever thinking about is like, okay, what do I want to do? Who do I, no, who are you first? Love it. Then then let's move forward. And then our next piece is as a, as an organization, you need a mission statement. Yeah. You need to declare what your values are. And then based on that, all your business decisions will come out of. Oh, see, look at this. Sue knew what she was doing. (laughs) We love you, Sue. Sue. (laughs) Because no, there's as soon as we I help people with their story and we pull those lessons out, the next thing we do is like, what are your values? Mm -hmm. What are your values? Because your values will dictate your entire business. Absolutely. And that means that you say no to clients that aren't a fit. You Mm -hmm. say, you know, you just you don't compromise on that because for the amount of time and energy you're going to spend chasing the dollars from the client that's not a good fit, you've missed four or five that were mm-hmm. perfect. Mm-hmm. I just, I want everyone to rewind and listen to that again. That is something that it's really hard when you're first starting out in a business because all you're thinking about is, I need to make money. I need to make money. I yep. need to make money. And we're always telling people like, that's, yes, okay, you can have a goal of, you know, I want to make X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. But if all you're ever thinking about is I want to make money, you're missing all of the opportunities. Sometimes you have to say no to $100 and go do something for free because that free thing is going to spiral into this opportunity to make you $6,000. Like walk away from the easy money sometimes yeah. mm-hmm. to do something that, like you said, it matches with your, what is it that Marco says to students? He says, every decision you're going to make, throw it up against your mission statement. And if it doesn't match, mm-hmm. it's not for you. It's it doesn't matter you. if it's if it's a payday. It's not for you. Well, that's, and I love that you say that. And I love that you do that because I always, people say, well, you expect me to do things for free. I'm like, if it's a good match, there are things that you will do oh, for absolutely. free. Not even 100%. just that. Some, sometimes you'll pay to play, yep. right? Because yeah. it's going to bring you something down the road that's, that, that is way worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. But if you don't know who you are, it doesn't matter. So like when I get women who come to me and go, I want to be a life coach. I'm like, of what? Like, what do you want to coach on? And so just yesterday, it was a person, wonderful person, but she's like, I want to help with mental health. I'm like, do you want to help people with mental health? Do you want to help workers? Do you want to help? Who do you want to help? Well, just mental health. And I'm like, it's not going to go anywhere. Like right now, that is such a buzzword that it's white noise if you aren't specific about what you want to do. And then all of a sudden, she's like, oh, I want to do this. and I want to do this. And I'm like, okay, now we're getting to it. Can you hear? Can you hear how your tone is even increasing because you're excited? Mm -hmm. You said mental health and it was a mental health. Now all of a sudden you're super excited about all these aspects of what you can do business wise. That's where you got to follow. That's where you follow. Mm -hmm. 
but it makes people, you have to get to the core of who you are and people that, that makes them uncomfortable as hell to do that. That does make people uncomfortable because I think a lot of people have the person that they think they, or not even that they think they are, the person that they're trying to portray to the world. Yes. And that's very often in competition with the person that they actually are. Because somehow, somewhere they've been led to believe that the person they actually are isn't the successful person. Right. So I need to quiet that person Mm -hmm. and be this person and be this persona. It's bullshit. It's not genuine. Nobody is going to want to buy anything from you because you're not real. Well, not anymore anyway. That might have been the game, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. You can't do that now. No. I think especially now post, like I don't want to call it post-COVID because we're still in it. But this time right now, because of COVID, like everybody jumps online. I'm like, if you, there is, if there was ever a time you have to be specific about who you are, what you want, Mm -hmm. it's now because there's white, there's massive amounts of white noise online if you're not. There's coaches everywhere. Oh, for sure. It, it, I was actually going to say that when you started talking about, you know, the person who said, I want to be a life coach. So it's funny because you are a coach now, mm-hmm. which, but it came to you very organically. Yes. You had a story and you figured out all of these lessons you learned from the story. Then you wrote this book and people started to like resonate with it. Like, yes, I, years. I went through years. this too. And yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so very organically, you realized, okay, I can help other people and I can help them learn their stories and figure out their lessons and move forward forward in a business. For people who want to get into coaching, because we hear this all the time, and we've had multiple coaches on the podcast as well. And we always say like, how like, how do you just decide to be a coach? So if somebody comes to you and says, I want to be a coach, what do you say to them? Well, I ask them why. Mm-hmm. I ask them why. And, they, and a lot of times they don't know why. And I said, what do you want to coach on? And they don't know. And then I'll ask them like, why again? And I start, so I just start asking questions. Because there's got to be a level of passion of what like what it is that you want to help someone with. And I think that's what a coach essentially does is you're helping a person with a problem. What solutions do you have? Yeah, exactly. What's the problem? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Yeah, everybody's solving a problem. Like everybody is, that's all business is, is solving a problem. And so, but if you don't even know what the problem is, you can't build a business. Like Mm -hmm. you just can't. Like I think we all have to build a business by throwing some spaghetti at the wall, but there's a level of like, we can't just keep throwing it at, we have to have some strategic idea of what we're doing. So I love working with people who really want to build a business, but it's a case of, okay, then if you want to do the work, then your business will only thrive to the level that you grow yourself. That's the only way it's going to happen. So if you're ready to dig into yourself even more, you're going to become an even better coach. Like you You have to do that You guys use a lot of the same language. Like Mark tells everybody as soon as they come to him for coaching, he's like, all right, now stop thinking of yourself as a therapist or a kid or whatever. He's like, you are now an organization. Let's talk about what your organization's values are. Let's talk about the mission. Like you guys use a lot of the same language. you have to, especially in in this manual therapy. If you keep thinking, I say it all the time, If you think of yourself as a therapist, then that's it. You're just a therapist. All you think about are patients and clients and trading your hours for dollars. Right? Until you start to think of yourself as an organization, as a business, as a company. If that's what you want. If you don't want, want, if you don't want that, fine. But if you say you want it, then yes, I 100% agree that's the work you have Mm to do. 100%. So the book. The book. Where can people get this book? They can get it on Amazon. They can get it by through my website as well. And we are just a week shy of launching a second book. And it's called, I know, it's called Owning Your Choices. And my goal was my goal was originally to share collective stories of women who have overcome 
difficult stories, difficult circumstances, and they were doing something with their story to impact others. They wanted to. So now we have eight women in the book who are either coaches, speakers in any way, shape or form. We've got one really special person in the book who found my podcast two years ago. Um, She's from Africa. And her and I have connected online many times. We've had many Zoom calls. And she, when I knew we were going to do the book, I knew she was somebody I wanted in it. And I reached out to her and she's like, I'm like 24-year-old student. There's no way I can afford a chapter. So I put it out into the universe. And of course, people came forward and paid her cost of her chapter. And she is a um, survivor of human trafficking. So she wow. shares her story in the book. And she's she's amazing. Like she, I just look at her at like, 24, 25 years old, and she has her own foundation that she started. She openly talks about trafficking and what that life is like. So now to me, it's that, I guess this isn't about me anymore. I don't say that in a way. It's just not about, and that you have to get to a space that it's not about us. It's about what can we do with our story? What can mm-hmm. we do with our lessons that we've learned? And for her, it opened the door for her to allow to share her story and be published. It's crazy to me because I'm so fucking weak. Like, you don't understand. Like, if, if shit happened to me in my life, I would just be so bitter and so angry and just, just hating life in the world. I wouldn't be able to function. Like, I'm so fucking weak when it comes to that shit. So when I hear other people that over-fucking-come the worst shit and they and, and they find a way to not even just, like, live their life relatively normal but do something positive and give back, I'm, like, fucking blown away. You say that a it's lot. It's so true. And I've, but I've said to you before, you just don't know. It's Humans true. don't even know what they're capable of. So I, for know, example, I know you. I'm capable of being fucking no, weak. No, I mean, okay, so for example, for years and years and years, I would always joke about how I'm the biggest baby when it comes to pain. I'm like, no, I cannot handle a single amount of pain. Like, I was the person that was afraid to go to the dentist. I was terrified of any, like, everyone's scared. I, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) I was like the person also that would, you know, like when all my friends are, you know, climbing all over monkey bars and stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'll just stay here safely on the ground. Like, I was always very cautious because I was very, very afraid of pain. And I remember when I got pregnant the first time and going to my first midwife appointment and I said, um, I am terrified of needles, like absolutely terrified. And so there is absolutely no way that I am going to have an epidural. And I was like, but on the other side of this coin, I am also a huge baby and I can't handle any mm-hmm. pain. So I don't know what to do. Like I was, I was freaking out a little bit. Anyway, the point is there are circumstances that you get into where you don't have a choice to do the comfortable thing, right? You have to, like, mm, I so had the good. choice of, I had the choice of getting the needle, which was terrifying to me, or giving birth naturally, also terrifying to mm-hmm. me, right? So there was no there was no easy way out of this. When you get into certain situations, and I know it sounds like I'm minimizing something like human trafficking by comparing it to labor, no, but, but it's just you get into situations where you don't have a choice. So when someone will say to you, I don't know how you do that. You know, like I hear it said to single mothers all the time, I just don't know how you do it. You know how they do it? Because they have no fucking choice. Well, that, so they just do I, it. I have a number of single moms in my book. And I actually ended up, It's it's only been the last few months that I... I think another friend who's part of the program, she's like, you, you have a lot of single moms in your group. Like, I wonder if this is like, and who've lived through difficult stories, Mm -hmm. but they do, you find a way to do it. And people will say, I can't be that strong. You're strong and I can't be that strong. I'm like, that's bullshit. You you haven't had to be. You haven't had to be. You haven't had to be. But I mean, there are also people that aren't strong enough and they don't do what they, what they, what they can or should do in those scenarios. And and I agree with you. And then things blow up. I agree with you. You hear those stories all the time as well. So Mm -hmm. even when you, 
you are between that rock and the hard place. You know, sometimes you just make the decision of I'm not going to do anything and I'm going to just succumb to whatever this is. No, definitely. There are people who don't pull themselves out of a struggle. There are people who are great success stories. There are people who are not. There's these stories that end very tragically. All I was saying is you often say, I don't think I could do this. Well, you've never had to. You know, we are fortunate enough. I think both of us have lived fairly privileged and we haven't had to deal with a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count you out. <laughs> you know what? You don't you end up surprising yourself. I I look back sometimes and I mean, I just, there are times even now when I say this, I like, I can't believe that was our life. Like I can't, there yeah. are times that my husband and I will get in a talk and I'm like, do you remember that? And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot about that. Like I totally forgot about that time. And there's just things that you forget about. It was such a blur at the time. And at the end of the day, I mean, I don't, I wish I could have learned my lessons a different way, but they aren't something I could have read in a book. Mm. You have to live things in order to be able to learn them. It's so hard for me because I can't, I, I'm such a control freak, maybe. That's Is that the true. best way to say it? I'm such a control freak that I can't just give it up to the universe. Do you see what I'm saying? And I always, and it's a problem of mine. I always, it is a problem. I always feel like I can figure this fucking thing out or I can control what's happening here or I can, I can influence what's going to I I don't know maybe I'm just, No. I don't even know what I'm talking about. No, no, no. And that's but okay, so I was that person. Yeah. I was. I'm not kidding. I was that I was like I was a control freak. Mm-hmm. I was like the diligent of how things were running until you just you just everything falls apart to a point where it's like fuck this is not working. Like you just have to accept at one mm-hmm. point. Like if we're trying to do something that's not even quite that severe, but if you're trying to do something and you're going about it all the wrong way and you keep doing it over and over, I remember I just at one point thinking like, why don't I just keep banging my head against the wall? Because yeah, that's okay. literally all I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I get that. I, th- I, I don't know. I think life, I think life will guide you. And I say, because it, to, to anyone who's listening, it guides you in the direction that you're meant to be in. And mm. I think it gives us challenges to help us do what we're supposed to be do and become. And, you know, it's funny because I had a conversation with my oldest at one point. He goes, mom, do you remember all those parents who like used to yell at, because see, parents were nasty with us. We used to get pretty nasty comments. And he goes, do you remember all those parents who were so angry at you and they thought what you're doing is ridiculous and like pushing your kids out of the house? Do you remember that? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you know, a lot of their kids are still in the basement, not working, not going to school, not doing... So he's like, you know, maybe you weren't that crazy after all. I'm like, maybe not. I'm like, maybe not. Maybe you're not nuts, mom. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I always tease him about that. I'm like, you know, you have to you have to take care of your parents. You put us through hell for years. Like you owe us. Oh, they better take you care of you. Yeah, us. they owe you. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a great relationship between us right now where that's where it's like, yeah, you owe us. For, yep. Yeah. How does uh, being a published author make you feel? It was a, a crazy vulnerability hangover after. Like I was really happy and proud that it was out there. The one thing, if you were to look at my book, the cover of my book is my face and it's a very serious headshot face. So I believe in like messages and how they happen, etc. So I had all these pictures designed for the cover and I couldn't get a feel and trying to find it. And then a friend of mine who was in marketing at the time, I said to her, do you mind taking a quick look? And she looked at it and she said, um, you okay if I ask someone else a question? And I'm like, sure. And so she phoned me about a half an hour later. She's like, do you have time to talk to David Chilton? And I'm like, like from the Wealthy Barber? And she's like, yeah. So I actually had met him before, but he didn't remember. But anyways, we he, we chatted for about an hour and a half. And he said to me, you have to change your cover. I'm like, it's Sunday. 
of it's Saturday of of the Thanksgiving weekend. It was due to come out on the Thursday. And he's like, no, you're missing the mark. You're totally missing the mark. You've got to put your face on it. I'm like, my face. And he's like, it's your story. Put your face on it. So I did. And when you go into my categories, uh, where you look at it, all the categories that are there are really dark, really like, mm-hmm. you know, and so now all of a sudden you got a picture of a mom's face. And I think that that has kept that book up in a number of categories in that time. So I'm proud of it. It was, that was a growth curve on its own to put my my face on the cover of it. And um, I know that it's helped a lot of people, which makes me feel very it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like the pain was served a purpose and helped others. And even in the beginning, like I would love to say that everybody was super supportive that I was writing the book, but that is still not true. Oh, like sure. it's still not true. And it wasn't until, you know, even that my my one son was just not, he just felt like you're throwing us under the bus. Well, yeah. like if you read it, it's about me. The whole thing is about me. I made it about me. It's my story. Mm-hmm. And it's like they, of course, it's about what happened, but the whole thing is about me. So it's very much. Uh, well, you made them too, so it's fine. <laughs> you can talk about them in the book. Any, you made right? them. Any parts of the book that you hate? Because, um, like, I, I, I play music, or I used to play music, and, and you know, we use, we have, we have songs, we have CDs, and stuffs out there. And there's stuff about some songs that I'm just like, I fucking hate this one part of this song. I wish we composed it differently. I wish we sat down and massaged it a little bit more. Are there any pieces of this book you're just like, fuck? Yes. Yes, there is. Because that's a great question. No one has ever asked me that. Is that um, there are two parts to it where I had to share turning point stories, turning points in the story so that another parent reading it would be able to reflect and understand that we had literally tried everything. Mm. And those turning point stories were the fact when my, my one son was found, I found out he was running drugs and I didn't know what that was. And just to give an idea of how big the problem was. And the second was when I, I got into a position, a physical position where I was really scared from my, both my kids. Mm -hmm. And it was a really scary experience for me that that's when I was like, I'm out of this. I'm not doing this anymore. And I didn't like sharing those parts of the story because those were more of their, that's their story, but that was my reflection of them at that time. And so when people say something to me, I'm like, you have to, how I mentally got to that space is they were not my kids at that time. They were not my kids at that time. They were very different. So I don't like sharing that part of it because I don't feel like that's fair to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, at the same time, I understand my publisher was like, you need to put some context in there so people can understand how bad it was. So that's a great question. Those are the two pieces that I wouldn't want to put back in it. Mm-hmm. How long have you been, I guess, coaching people now? Probably um, three and a half, four years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I know how you got into it. I know, you know, mm-hmm. it all came from your story and you, you're mm-hmm. a coach because of you. Yes. How do your clients find you or how do you find your clients? This is where we're still learning and growing, right? As a, I mean, I get a lot of referrals. Mm-hmm. I do get a lot of referrals. My podcasts can, I've got a few clients from California who picked me up for my podcast and um, a lot of it comes from referrals. So it's learning how to keep navigating that space online to, I would love to be in a position that when my program runs every quarter that, yeah, I do have, you know, 20, 30 people in mm-hmm. it on a regular basis. It's just finding and connecting 
with those people. So that's where I think most of it comes from. Okay. How long has the podcast existed? Um, I am on episode 165. And what's so, the name of your podcast for own, anybody who wants so to? So Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. Nice. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I, again, everything I talk about is ownership, choice, responsibility, radical responsibility. And, you know, I know that's a trigger point for some people. They're like, but you don't know my story. You don't understand that I don't have a choice. I'm like, you do have a choice. You always have a choice in how you respond. You have a choice in how you react. And when you accept that you don't have a choice, you've taken your choice away. See, you can still be a control freak. No. and (laughs) But I mean, owning your choices is taking back control of what you can control, right? Own your choices, own your life. You can still be a control freak. Yeah, I get it. I just think I'd have a very different time with it for and certain scenarios. that's okay to say yeah. that you'd have a hard time because I certainly, I don't want to make it sound like I got that shit all figured out and it was easy. Mm. It was like a messy road of growth of five to six years. Messy. So messy. And it's impossible to explain to us, for example, mm-hmm. what that looked like. Well, for one thing, it's going to look different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But unless you go through something like that, you can't put it into words. And I mean... I guess all you could pull from it, like you said, were the lessons. So mm-hmm. you talk about it on the podcast, you use it when helping your clients, mm-hmm. you wrote about it in the book. So you're using these things, but still nobody could quite understand what those, you know, six to eight years were like for you. No, there's no, no, there's no way. Six to eight years. You really found out who your friends and real family were. Oh, what a great question again. Yeah. yeah big time. I, I had to reinvent my whole inner circle. I had a whole inner circle. Pretty much. Wow. I had a couple friends who are still there who are amazing. They're just wonderful people. You know, I remember I loved to this this story is that there was one day, it was like the culmination of like everything was going wrong. My house was surrounded by police. It was a horrible experience. And my girlfriend, my one friend, said she was driving by, she couldn't see my road, and she had a really bad feeling something was wrong. And she pulled over and she came in. She's like, What do you need? Like, what do you need? Not like, oh my God, what happened? Mm -hmm. Which is where some people were in that space that we were the like glorified story, the gossip story of what was going on. Mm -hmm. So people who we thought were friends were not because that was just, that's where they were. Um, But it was like, yeah, what do you need? So I would say a couple of people like that. And then, and then honestly, Majority of people that are in my life right now are people I didn't know five to six years ago. So when people say, what can vulnerability, like it's scary as hell and I can't do it. I am telling you everything good in my life came from being vulnerable, literally. Well, then again, you know, the people that are in your life, they're there because they Mm -hmm. really want to be in your life. It's not because you're a good story. It's not because of whatever persona you have online. They just, they want to be around you. And that's the best way to do it. I think some of... the best people in my life, not all of them, but some of them are people I met as an adult. It's not always about like no. the history you have with somebody. It's people who actually like know me mm-hmm. for who I am now. Cause I'm not who I was 10 years ago. Right. So well, I who I was like two hours ago. Well, exactly. So it's no, it's, it's, it changes. And I mean, that inner circle changed a lot to the point that I even said, love my family, but I'm like, my inner circle is an invite only space. Mm. So if you want to be critical of how I am trying to parent my kids, yep. It was like, I remember saying like, if you were not offering to come and stay at my house for a week and live in the shit that I live in day in, day out, I don't want your advice. I don't Mm -hmm. want it. Like, I don't want it. I didn't ask for it and I don't want it. If you're not going to do something constructive to help me, because I'm barely, 
barely staying afloat. Do you think the last thing I need, I needed, I, the last thing I needed was a family or a friend to be critical because I already done it myself. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I already tore myself apart. I don't need like my friends to do that. That was, yeah. I was good enough at it. I had somebody come to my door, like I was getting like what not to do. Somebody come in who is like, what do you need? Another person come in saying, did you not think about doing this, 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 or this? And I'm looking at it going like, like you know me, like I've done all of did these I, things. Did I not think about it? No. What would I have done without your advice? Like I just so I looked at her and I, and she said and she starts crying and I'm like, why are you crying? Like why are you crying? And she's like, because you have no idea how hard this is for me. That's the kind of I because I think people don't know what to do when things are hard. I, mm-hmm. I for a while I was angry. I'm not angry anymore. The way I look at it, I just I remember saying to her, I will do you a favor. We're gonna part ways. There's zero hard feelings. I don't have the capacity to deal with your emotions right now. I'm barely staying afloat. Mm -hmm. So no hard feelings, but you need to go. And that was the last time I saw her. And she was a good friend for a long time. Well, she wasn't there for you. She was there for her. Right. But in that, you have to know that. So when you go Mm -hmm. through something really hard, that that people are there for different reasons and some people don't know what to do. So they, they just do really dumb things. They do like it's people do it in funerals. People do it. They don't know what to do. They get Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And people always um, seem to forget. I think that it's easy to sit back and watch something and uh, again, watch it from whatever angles they can see it. Exactly. They don't know exactly what's going on. They don't know what you have been doing. They they have no idea. No. But it's really easy to sit back and say, well, I don't understand why they don't just do this. And I don't understand why they haven't tried this or, you know, this worked for this person. You have no idea. So instead of trying to again, fix a problem that isn't yours. Mark's favorite saying, not my circus, not my monkeys. Instead of trying to fix something that isn't yours, just be supportive. And if you are friends with this person, then don't be judgmental. Don't be parent shaming. Just like your your first friend, what do you need? Because mm-hmm. you, like you said, you've already beaten yourself up about it. You don't need everybody else saying to you, oh, well, how did this happen? What do you think you did wrong? Actually, somebody happen? said that to me. Let me ask you, like, what do you think you did wrong? If you go back, what was the one thing you did wrong? And I, I thought about this answer. And my answer was the sense that there was, there's two parts to it. But for me, it's that I can't say I did something wrong because it, it, it I didn't create it. It wasn't mine that happened. So I didn't, they, they weren't my choices. Like I did not buy, I got to the point with my mantra, I did not buy the drugs for them. I did not give them money for it. I did not do, like I did not give it to them. Mm-hmm. I did everything I could do to stop it. So I can't own that fact of where things went to because I didn't give it to them. Mm-hmm. That's how my brain had to look at it. It's not fault thing. The second is, is that our kids got so wrapped up in sports. They were so busy with sports. They loved sports. And I wish I would have, I wish I would have said like, you know, fine, one competitive sport a year. Summers, we're still camping. We're doing like family stuff. We are not, we're not, we just found ourselves not, and I mean, I'm not even, we weren't nearly as overcommitted as some parents are now, not like prior to COVID, but we would be, you know, one sport in the winter, one in the summer. I guess some parents are doing like, you know, three sports at a time gone for like, it's, if you're so busy doing everything, you're not making time for just like, I hate to be cliche, but family time, like mm-hmm. just 
We don't have to be running our asses off ragged in order for kids to be healthy and safe because I'm telling you, this stuff happens in all kinds of circles. Yeah. It doesn't stop it. In fact, it just keeps you more disconnected if you're not connected anyways. I'm really not looking forward to having I'm teenagers. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I am. You know what? <laughs> it's, it's, there. there's no predicting it. There's no, no predicting it. Yeah. And, and they are their own people. Yeah. You just, it, you want them to have like good values, be good people, mm-hmm. all those things. And now even as I watch, like there's little things that I see in my kids, which might not seem like a big deal to some people, but like we go somewhere, they hold the door open for somebody. Mm-hmm. They say, thank mm-hmm. you. They do little things like, so maybe they didn't do standards of what people say, but as with good, with parenting, with good basic values, like that makes them who they are. What they choose to do, whether they go off the path for a while, it, they're still good people. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I've even, like, I've had the most, like I said, the most profound, honest conversations with my kids that if you choose now as an adult to get into trouble, I will not bail you out. And with a big joke is you better have someone else's phone number in your phone because mom's not coming. Like mom is not coming to pick you up. If you Been there, trouble. done that 10 years ago. Sorry, guys. Yep. Not doing it. At any point when you are telling yourself these are their choices, they're not mine, do you ever feel like this is your easy way out? No. That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I would say it was an easy way out. It was a way of I had to start taking ownership for myself. Mm-hmm. I was super angry at them for where life was at. And for all of the energy I put into trying to manage something I couldn't control, I wasn't giving any energy to the things that I could control. And that was mm-hmm. me. So like as I, I lost myself totally health-wise, all those things. So that became a mantra for me to put that energy back on myself. I I didn't see it as a way out. It was it was a big slap in the face for them. So mom changed and everybody else is like, what the hell's happening here? Now all of a sudden mom is not getting freaked out when things are going wrong. It's like, nope, the police are here. Yeah, there he is. This is not, this is yours. This is yours and you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So there was no more probably a sense that mom is coming to fix this. Mom is coming to help. And I kept saying, like, I will love you. If you if you end up screwing up and you end up going to jail, I'll visit you in jail. I will still not bail you out. I will love you. You will always be my son, but I am not here to fix this for you. And I think the other thing is parents, like we are not here to push and pull them through life. We're not. If we if yeah. we do push and pull them through life, we're doing it forever. So that's fine. Yeah, that's you're not you're not creating I mean Mark and I used to say when the kids were even younger than they are now, is we just want them to be functional members of society and we don't want them to be assholes. Like no, really, that's fair. it. Like, don't raise jerks and yeah, don't raise make assholes. sure that they can they can function, whatever that means, mm-hmm. right? So, no, I don't want to have to. I don't want to be the person that has to do everything for my kids. I want them to be independent. I want them to just have basic life skills and understand how to how to navigate on their own. Mm-hmm. It's it's not my job to do beyond a certain point. No, and if that's how we feel, then we have to make sure that's how we're parenting, right? Mm -hmm. So we can't say that's what we want, yet we're cutting up all their food for them when they're seven years old. Like we we can't do both. We have to, there has to be a point that they have, we have to parent how we say we mean it. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying you don't. I'm saying that's like, that is the thing. Is that we have to let them 
fail. That means like don't do their project for them when they're when they're young and they have to figure things out. You can help them, but you know, have you ever done? I don't know what they do for projects now because school's all messed up. But when we did, <laughs> when they, <laughs> everything's messed up. But when I remember when we were doing medieval times and like these parents would bring the sugar cube castle into school, and I'm like, there's no fucking way your kid made that. <laughs> like the thing is like, good job, no- ma. You got an A. Right? Like, and yeah. so you can't do that. Well, you can, but then don't be mad at your kid in grade seven and eight when your kid's going, Mom, my project's due. Like, if you're doing it for them yeah. all along. So it's so funny when I look back to when we were even when they were younger, I'm like, no, this is yours. Like, this is, I went, I did grade four. Like, I, <laughs> I, I remember one point was so funny when my, one of my kids had a friend over after school and he was making his lunch. And cleaning up his dishes and make his lunch. And his friend is like, why, why are you like, why are you doing that? He goes, I have to make my lunch for tomorrow. He goes, well, why doesn't your mom make it? And he looked at him. He goes, my mom doesn't come to school and eat it. <laughs> because that's what he heard me say. It's like, I'm like, if, he's like, why don't you make it? All the other parents make it. I'm like, do you want me to come to school and eat your lunch too? He's like, no, it's my lunch. I'm like, right. So why don't you make it? So it's just this whole, like, that's literally how we parented all those years if that so maybe who knows but that's how we parented so everything just amplified with how we had to deal with the situation is where it came to so it's just a it's just a very different situation and i know it's it's not textbook by any means there was no book that we had and i finally had to get to a space of saying there's no manual like we didn't like we didn't come up with a manual no and i I'm, I'm open to saying i'm sure we made massive mistakes i'm sure we did but we literally did the best we could with yeah, what we that's had all you can that's all you can do yeah. i do have a question though yeah how do you feel about police since you since you've had so much interaction with police especially you know the climate now with the black lives matters movement and you know how people feel about There's, law enforcement. Wow, that could go a whole lot of ways. Um, I, uh, we had some really incredible police officers when we were dealing with things and we had some really sad situations. And at one point, um, one of my kids was in just a horrible state and it was not safe for me to be there. And the officer came to the door. And I mean, at that point we were frequent flyers. They like, they were over on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and he called for backup. And then he's like, well, your son's just going to have to sleep it off. I'm like, really? Because he's throwing furniture out the second story. Like, we're not talking. Like, it's not normal. And I looked at him and I said, so you mean to tell me you came here, you called for backup, you both carry guns, and I'm good to stay here by myself. So how does that even make sense? Mm -hmm. But there's nothing that they could do. I think that it's, I think there's a a lot of spokes to it. Um, I finally worked my way up to see our chief of police because I really feel that, I feel like that was a missing component to be completely honest. And what happens with the police is then separate from what happens in the courts. And they're all, I think it's a, I think there's a lot of shit and it's messed up. Mm -hmm. I think it's really messed up. Police wise, a lot of the times, especially as minors, if they're going to be charged with a crime as a parent, you actually have to press the charges. And the reason they do that is because so many parents would say like, not my Johnny, we're not, you're not. Mm -hmm. And so they wouldn't support them. So, as a parent, when you're in those situations, you have to be willing to follow through and press a charge and bring that to light and have something happen. 
man, that's a tough spot for parents. That's a really yeah. tough spot for parents. So I think that that's a broken system because that's not going to create a lot of change. I don't feel like there's a lot of support for parents, especially who were in a situation that we were. I think that they aren't given a lot of training mm-hmm. right, for especially how difficult the situation. There is a good friend of ours who we know now, but his first, sh- one of his first shifts was at our house when mm-hmm. our son went through the front window and he came in and when he saw and he knew us, the look on his face was like, holy shit. And I remember him saying to us afterwards, like he avoided us. He had a really hard time. He just didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And at that point, everybody knew what was going on, but he just, it was, he was floored. And he said, honestly, we didn't learn about that at, for sure. like, we just didn't learn about that in mm-hmm. school, in police college. And we, when we did, they weren't with families like you. We weren't expecting that. But that's actually more the norm mm-hmm. because these are the parents that are calling, trying to get help, trying to do something. So I think there's a lot of breaks in the system. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I also had to become a better advocate to say, no, that's not okay. And I don't agree with you. And I do want a second officer here. And mm-hmm. I'm not doing anything until you bring me a, f- a female sergeant. Right. There was one point I, w- I refused until I had a female sergeant. And they would be very much in a space of, you know, because they, they want to move on, right? They want to move on. Yeah. They, have other, they have other calls to make. They, and we also had to get to a space of understanding. I don't know what calls they were on before they got to my place. Like mm-hmm. it could have been a horrible shift. But if they take control of one of the kids... And they have to be committed into the hospital. Or they have to go into the hospital. Then by law, like they're sitting in the emergency room waiting with that kid handcuffed for hours. Mm-hmm. Not me. They are. Mm-hmm. So that's, they don't want to do that if they can help it. And then you can wait for hours and then find out that mm, the doctor decides that they don't need to stay. So now they're being released. So it's it's a really broken system. And I really feel like there's a lot of time that the courts aren't supporting the police officers either. So the police will charge, but then the courts don't do that. Right. And I I don't, I, I the amount of enabling and lack of authority I've seen in courts blows my freaking mind. Hmm. It blows my mind. I did have a Crown attorney. She, at one point had, you know, I remember her grabbing my arm and she said, mom, like, did you not think to do something with the sooner? And I looked at her and I was like, have you even opened up the file? Because until you open up the file, I am not talking to you. And she walked away and came back in and she was like, oh my God, you're the one that pressed charges. I'm like, yeah, start reading because you'll see it's broken, like it's broken. So I think there's a lot of broken parts in the system. And if you're not a parent who's an advocate willing to fight the system, not afraid of calling on somebody, mm-hmm. I I think the system must eat them alive. I think there's a lot of parents that are very, very um, broken, not sure what to do because there is no support for them. I don't think I would have any idea what to do. You just keep fighting. You just keep, and this is where I, like the fighter in me kept fighting the system until I had to stop fighting. But there was, like I said, there was one point that, so, you know, at 17, when they're arrested and if there's an issue and there's a physical like fear of threat of them, you have to go pick them up from jail. And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not doing that. It's not safe for me. My husband's not even home. They're like, well, you have to, or we have to charge you with obstruction. And I'm like, are you, what? Like, (laughs) if my husband was assaulting me or I was in fear of being around him, you would never tell me I had to go pick him up. Meanwhile, my 17 year old is as big as my husband. 
It can make no sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he said, I remember the one saying, you have to, or else we'll have to charge you. I'm like, absolutely, go ahead, because I'm going to have the news here faster than you can even think. If that's what you want to do, then we'll do that. Go ahead. We didn't. But <laughs> but see what I mean? If you don't have, like I grew that backbone even more. I've always been a feisty person, but I grew that even more. If you don't have that, I can't even imagine how hopeless mm-hmm. and frustrated that time must be. So long and short, I don't think that they, I think they ultimately do the best that they can. Mm-hmm. I think that they need more training. I think it requires more than any book is going to give them. Like right. I think they need to be meeting with parents and talking to parents and learning from situations. This isn't in a book. Mm-hmm. This is not something you learn from a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think Mike Kempa said it best when we had him on that, uh, police have been given an impossible job. They have. They get called as the first well, responders to everything. Everything. Right. everything. And so they, they don't, don't have training They don't have everything. the proper no. crisis management support. No. And on top of that, like he said on our podcast, a lot of the problem with policing in general is police look at everything as a crime issue and therefore they act as a crime yes. issue. Right. Right? Yes. When in reality, it isn't all the time. So. No. No, that's a great question. I don't like, I, I. we had some incredible support from incredible officers and we had some who we didn't and i i mean i i just had to learn to ask for more if i didn't agree with what was happening Mm -hmm. and ask for someone else to come i feel like we could talk for probably another 10 plus hours (laughs) so thank you sue you were right this was definitely a conversation that we wanted to have i have another 660 hours of recording time on my (laughs) i'm ready (laughs) i'm ready (laughs) if if i didn't have to go pick up my children if you didn't have to head off to ottawa who knows it might happen um before we do wrap up though if anybody listening wants to reach out to you what is the best way to get in touch with you they can reach me on my website through it's just marshavanw.com um i'm active on any social media so i'm there as well my book is available on amazon all of my um services coaching what i do is all available through my website it's just if you start if you type in in google marsha van w it'll be the first 10 things you see we've pop got up. the podcast we've got yeah. the book yep. so there's so many ways to learn more from you yes thank you for spending the afternoon with us this was and driving all the way to it's toronto to it's do a nice it break actually <laughs> i was i could say i was listening to podcasts on the way here so it was a nice break well awesome i'm so glad you came in <laughs> thank you so much for having me right on you guys have been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone peace